0: I'm Nicole Lappin, the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. It's time for some Money Rehab. We did it. We did it. We won a Webby. We got the People's Choice Award for the best advice and how-to podcast. For all of you who voted, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Truly. It really means the world to me. I don't do any of this stuff for accolades. I truly do it for you. It is why I get up in the morning. It is why this is especially meaningful for me because it's the People's Choice Award. I know it sounds corny, which is my biggest nightmare, uh, but it's true. So thank you, really. Plus, and I'm also going to sound like I'm bragging, which I kind of am, we did also get a second Webby nomination and two Webby honors. One of those honors was for the best interview for my episode with author Marianne Williamson. So as I've been reminiscing about that conversation, I see that she announces her presidential campaign for 2024 like a boss. So to shamelessly celebrate our Webby wins and, of course, Marianne's campaign, No big deal. Here is our award worthy interview. As we've talked about before on the show, the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade is not just an ethical issue or a social issue. It's also a financial issue to talk through the financial implications of abortion bans. I'm speaking with Marianne Williamson. Marianne is a legend, to say the least. You might know her from one of her 14 books, her several appearances on The Oprah Winfrey Show, or from her campaign to be the Democratic nominee in the 2020 presidential election. Before we launch into the interview, I just want to say, Marianne is openly pro-choice, as am I. And so this conversation comes from a pro-choice perspective. But I think Marianne's voice is an extremely interesting voice to listen to on this issue, whether you're pro-choice or not. The conversation around Roe versus Wade has been very neatly divided down party lines. Typically, we assume that Democrats are pro-choice and Republicans are pro-life. But as Marianne would argue, it's not that simple and not one political party gets it 100% right. In our conversation, Marianne gives useful recommendations on abortion legislation that notes room for improvement for both Democrats and Republicans let's get into it. Well, Marianne, welcome to Money Rehab. Hey, I'm happy to be here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So we are, of course, a money show. And most money shows, I've been an anchor on CNBC, they say they're not political. They're, of course, very conservative. We are a progressive show, and we believe that progressive issues like raising the minimum wage, supporting unionization, closing the gender wage gap, all contribute to a healthy economy. So from that lens, what do you see as some of the biggest economic and fiscal implications of overturning Roe?
1: I really am so happy to hear you say what you're saying, because progressive Economics is healthier economics because it is recognizing that money is not just something that's created by a bunch of corporate aristocrats and then dropped like crumbs from their table up on Mount Olympus somewhere. That whole economic uh, idea of trickle down, which we now know did not lift all boats, but rather left millions of people without even a life vest. What you're pointing out is that money is created by the productivity and the creativity of the American people. So anything that you do to help people thrive, which has to do with education, which has to do with economic opportunity, which has to do with anything that allows people to show up at work every day, unburdened by terrible concerns, such as what am I gonna do for healthcare? Uh, I'm only in this job, even though I hate it, because it's the only one I can go to where I'll get the benefits, or even though I went to uh, school, Uh, and took out all these college loans to um, work at one industry. I'm now working in another industry because if I do a startup job in the industry I want, I don't know how I'll ever pay off these college loans. So to me, what progressive economics is doing is riding this terrible ship that has listed. Well, the good news is I think that the American people, something is happening. Something has been happening. People are starting to figure this out. People are recognizing how much the system has been rigged against the average American. And then you ask me about Roe. I think the connection there is that at a time when, which will always be a time, you know, we're told that it's the job of every, every generation to create a more perfect union. You create a more perfect union by expanding rights, by expanding justice. And we are living at a time where, at the behest of the Supreme Court, certainly, but also at the behest of, of of other corporatists, mainly within the Republican party, where we're actually constricting rights. And that is the supreme danger of the Dobbs decision, in addition uh, to what a horrifying humanitarian position this creates for millions of American women.
0: And you've acknowledged that that's constricting rights, for 18 years for a woman, you know, women with money or privilege or both will always be able to get an abortion. Making abortion illegal doesn't cut off abortion access. It only makes abortion more expensive, which pushes options further out of reach, of course, for low income women. So does this intensify class warfare? Well,
1: we, ne- we need to go back a little bit to what you just said, because I've said it thousand times as has everybody else oh don't kid yourself rich women will still be able to get abortions not so easy this is not going back to pre-row this is worse than pre-row because they are actually man these people are getting down they want to criminalize they want to criminalize anything that has to do with helping uh, a woman uh, get an abortion. They want to criminalize, in some cases, if you are a Lyft driver or an Uber driver and you hear a woman uh, saying she's going to get an abortion. So a woman's money is not going to be enough to uh, to just create easy, easy access in the way that I do believe was true pre row So if you take the the general issue of a woman with money um, it could make it happen, and then you add onto that Oh, not necessarily. It's beyond class system. It's into the realm of tyranny. Will
0: that erase our collective progress, do you think, on the gender wage gap and the gender wealth gap?
1: Well, as you mentioned, whether or not a woman gives birth to a child says a lot about what she will do for the next 18 years of her life. You know, this is this is huge. I mean, obviously, a woman, what they say is, well, she could give it up for adoption as though, oh, that's no big deal. Um So obviously what these people want to do, whether this is recognized consciously or not, is a deep misogynistic desire to have women under their control and uh, a woman with fewer uh, options for her life. And um, it it, it will, it's beyond just wage gap. It's power gap. It's resources gap. It's choices gap. Everything that everybody's been saying for so long It could happen, we are in the middle of. It's not like there could be a constitutional crisis. We are in the midst of everything that we have been warning each other about. We've now moved into, it's happening. It's not like, oh, this could happen. This is now happening. And it's a different psychological um, place that we all need to inhabit in order to deal with the challenges at this moment.
0: And what do we do about that? What do we do about the economic chaos at every level that, of course, will ensue threatening personal financial security? I'm sure you've seen the turnaway study. We've reported on that tracking the economic impact of women who were turned away for abortions and of those women, the economic impact is real with credit scores, living in poverty, reports of bankruptcy, eviction, tax liens. I mean, all of this is real quantifiable data and ramifications. How do you foresee more economic impact in the years to come after this?
1: First of all, I think we all need to take a step back and we need to step out of our silos. We need to step out of our silos, not only in terms of identities, but also in terms of issues you know, this word intersectionality, it's all of a piece. So it's not even just about Roe. It's about anything that is an attack on the basic fundamentals of democracy, the basic fundamental that all men, which as we know, we've now codified means all women, should mean all men, all women, all binary, all people who don't consider themselves either one straight gay. Uh, transgender, black, brown, white, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, atheist, that's the larger picture, that in America, anyone should basically do whatever they want to do, and they should be whoever they want to be, as long as it does not hurt someone else. And that's what we have to make a stand for, because what's happening now is that we're playing whack a mole today? It's Roe. Next week, it's the uh disempowering the EPA. The next week, it's attack on transgender. I think that we need to recognize this is all an attack on democracy, and I think that's important in terms of when you say, What do we do? So much of the work right now is processing all this, so much of the work is thinking all this through. It's just like anything else in life. Um. Individually, we do it and we need to do it collectively, which we have to say, wait, you know, how many times in our own individual lives we go, wait, I have to, I have to think about this. I have to really think this through. I'm going to think it through before I send an email. I'm going to think it through before I decide what to do.
0: Hold on to your wallets, boys and girls. Money rehab will be right back. Do you ever get FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, do you ever get FOMO Tupita, fear of missing out on the perfect hire? Now for some more money rehab. I love listening to the words you choose. And as a writer, you're so deliberate and precise with those words. And it sounds like poetry to me, so I can listen to you speak forever. But I'd like your opinion. I think, and this would be the bridge between Roe and greater issues with democracy is the rhetoric that's been used around this. I mean, being pro life sounds overwhelmingly positive. You're actually I think you've called the side uh anti choice rather than pro life. I've never been pro abortion. I've talked openly about my own. It was the worst day of my life. Uh, and I don't think anyone is pro-abortion, but it's really about this rhetoric war that's been won. So how would you change the framing of this issue and others?
1: As you say, pro-choice does not mean quote-unquote pro-abortion. I find uh, a casual abortion, that is as much of a moral anathema to me as it is to any right-winger. But to me, the issue of abortion is an issue of private morality not public morality and i don't believe that the government with the exception of sex with children i don't believe the government has any right in your bedroom or any right to tell you what you have to do with your body or cannot do with your body that that is not the government's business and that is privacy issue that is civil liberties issue um i feel that over the last few decades. There has been some militancy on the left in the form of unwillingness to have any level of moral conversation about abortion. Many of the people who were the voices sort of determining how we were all supposed to do this, felt that any any acknowledgement that there was a moral issue here was a slippery slope. We couldn't go there, which I think was very stupid. Because what I found, and I even found as a political candidate, is how many people who are uncomfortable with the idea of abortion, but also don't want to think government is about overreach, were very grateful when I would say, of course, it's a moral issue. But it's an issue of private morality, not public morality. And I can't tell you how many people would say, oh, but you, right, so you just get it's a moral issue, right? I said, of course. Okay, I just wanted to know. Um, President Clinton, the language he used was that the goal of his administration regarding abortion was safe, legal, and rare. I had no problem with that. I thought that was kind of good. It was people on the left who criticized him for that. Who is he to say they should be rare? So, I I mean, on some level, there has got to be some Willingness to have some nuanced conversation, which always includes the includes the moral. If you look at how this issue is dealt with in other countries, such as Germany and others in Europe, um, as part of their uh, reproductive uh, rights laws, recognize um, psychological factors. So, for instance, someone will meet with the woman know that she's doing this on her own volition, knowing that she recognizes what her choices are. And the, the abortion clinic and that psychotherapeutic clinic aren't even the same building. Once the, the, uh, the uh, abortion clinic gets a, um, gets a note basically, an okay from the psychotherapeutic clinic, the society has guaranteed herself, this is itself, that this is not an impulsive act. We are going on the left to have to recognize um, some of the ways that our arguments have not worked, and be willing to modify, not our values, not what we stand for but our willingness to have a deeper understanding, not agreement with, but understanding of those with whom we do not agree. People want to feel heard. And when people do feel heard, there's a lot more room for change. But when people feel that they are unheard or a priori disregarded, you're going to have a difficult time um, making political change.
0: And when you talk about this Nuanced I think that's really important. you talked about a private morality issue, and then you know
1: conservatives are like gotcha it's a moral issue no no it's it's a nuanced issue it's is a moral issue it's- i don't have any problem as I'm adamantly pro-choice and I have no problem saying it's a moral issue to me it is a moral issue but it, between a woman and her god and I, and in addition to that, I trust the moral decision making of the American woman look any issue we've all heard these horrifying stories of women who just look at it like no big deals nothing bigger than a pap smear that's not where the vast majority of women are coming from a lot of women feel the moral decision is to not have this child since i can't afford it right now so i just think people's uh, conversation with their own conscience with their own ethics uh with their own god as well as their own doctor is nothing for government to have any right to weigh in on and
0: how would you advise the Democratic Party, which I assume you're mad at right now? Um, although, if, if we can get the Democrats to be stronger than weak, I suppose that's the side that we would choose. Versus what did you call the right, the abusers? So I would, what would you say to the Democratic Party to to try and win this rhetoric war that's clearly been lost?
1: Well, when you have someone like Nancy Pelosi sending a fundraising text. One hour after the decision came down, when everybody knows she was down in Texas supporting Henry Cuellar, who is the last pro-choice, quote-unquote, pro-life, anti-choice Democrat. So then she's saying to raise money because we have to uh, make sure that the Democrats win in November so they will codify Roe, even though they've had a lot of chance to codify Roe. What would I say to the entire group of Democratic leadership in the House and Senate? Resign now for the sake of your country and apologize while you're walking out the door. That, however, is not going to happen. I think they are aware that AOC was the only leader on this issue in this last week. They've got to be tearing their hair out in the White House, screaming, AOC was president this week. Frickin' A, guys. She sure as hell was. And and there's something else about the fact that she was everything that she said she wants to do we can't do everybody knows that but she said what we would fight for she said what we would do if we could and she was the only one who was a leader everybody else was a fundraiser or a vote harder um it's terrible it's a debacle just a debacle in the way they handled it and um Unfortunately, everybody knows that. So it just does not bode well for November.
0: Which politicians beyond AOC, I suppose, or political hopefuls give you hope, if any?
1: Well, I think anybody who's not towing the line with the neoliberal establishment, um, obviously Bernie. Um, I think Elizabeth's been out there on the on the Roe issue, on the Dobbs decision. Elizabeth Warren has been out there. Uh, AOC has been out there. Anybody to me who's saying the obvious, you know, but most of them are even now, you know, looking at 24 and saying, well, we support Joe. Uh, But then, although if Joe doesn't run, they'll all come out of the woodwork. If you're criticizing the president or you're pointing out, as the AOC does, that you. Why don't you do something? For, your problem is not your messaging. The problem is your policies. The president, especially with with covid, he could have declared a medical emergency and uh, expanded to Medicare for everyone right away. He could um, declare a climate emergency and uh, provide a warp speed to cancel student uh, debt. Economy. He could with a, a stroke of his pen. Uh, cancel student debt. If they want to win, do something for people. Do something that will make them want to show up and vote for you. Um, And so those of us who've been screaming about these things, you know, the the normies, what we call the Democratic normies, think that's negative. I don't see anything negative about yelling fire if the house is burning down.
0: Are you going to run again?
1: I don't know. I don't know. But I'm thinking. But a lot of people are thinking. So
0: You've talked about the importance of state level politics, and while they might not be as sexy as presidential politics, uh, yeah, that, do you that needs a change? How do we change that? Then, how would you recommend yeah, listeners, yeah. you know, get involved not only by voting but by running for office?
1: You change in your political life the way you change in your personal life, one aha at a time. As you just said, we've all, you know, the left loves the presidential. They're filled with adrenaline, They're hot and sexy and was like midterms. Okay. And state, just is kind of boring. Well, people are smart though. People are not stupid and we get what's going on now. This, this is why, uh, Ultra right wing forces want to send everything back to the states, not because they are some uh, they have great respect for Alexander Hamilton and the laboratories of reform. That's not what this is about for them. They this is about the fact that they know instead of making us have to fight one on one front, make them have to fight on fifty. They know what they're doing. This is not respect for states' rights. This is a way to divide us and separate us and and our efforts. The battle, but if you're talking about Roe right now. Sorry. It's going to be on the state level now, so you can scream about that and get all crazy about it, but uh, (laughs) the the issue of of personal and political maturity here is to do something about it. Uh, My hope on the day that this decision came down was that there were many, many women in this country who said to themselves, that's it, I'm running for office. You know, I speak sometimes at uh, seminaries. I I spoke once at uh, Harvard Divinity School. And during the day of my talk, I met with some of the Harvard Divinity students there. And I was really surprised by how few of them, I'm not even sure there were any of them who actually want to go into the ministry or the rabbinate or anything. They want to be social workers. They want, they're getting a divinity degree not to have a pulpit. And I thought that was so weird. Not weird, but I thought almost unfortunate because I think pulpits matter. I see the same thing in politics. I see so many people who are so involved in political issues, but haven't taken the step yet to, I'm going to run. And one of the reasons, I think, is because the whole thing is so corrupt and people know it. You know, uh, Governor Pritzker, for instance, who I think has been saying really great things over the last few days about the gun issue. So this is not to show any disrespect uh, for him, because I think that what he was saying was really cool. He spent one hundred and twenty million dollars of his own money running for governor in Illinois. The money in politics has made it so difficult for people who don't either have money or some public platform uh, that enables them to get in the game or real progressives, like you mentioned, who find that when they even try the kind of neoliberal corporatist establishment Democratic Party, doesn't even want them there. You know, the Republicans serve their base The Democrats, the Democratic leadership, they don't even like their base. You know, I've been saying it for a long time. You have to you, you have to like audition to be considered a Democrat. They have this very elite, you know, it's ironic, isn't it? Because the the Republicans have the elite policies, but almost an ironically more egalitarian relationship with their own constituency. Democrats are the opposite, the more egalitarian policies, but this elitist paternalistic um, attitude towards their own constituency, which is why, of course, they suppress Bernie. and a few other examples that I know about of the things that they will do to get rid of people they don't want in the game.
0: For today's tip, you can take straight to the bank. In yesterday's episode, we talked about ways you could take political action. But as Marianne reminds us, we also need to take time to process. For many people, the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade is deeply emotional and sometimes traumatic. If that's you, I strongly urge you to give yourself license to take care of yourself. And if that means taking time for some self-care at home. Before heading to the front of the picket lines, that's okay. We have a long road ahead of us, and we will never get to where we need to go if we don't take breaks along the way. is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Our producers are Morgan Lavoy and Mike Coscarelli. Executive producers are Nikki Etor and Will Pearson. Our mascots are Penny and Mimsy. Huge thanks to OG Money Rehab team Michelle Lands for her development work, Catherine Law for her production and writing magic, and Brandon Dicker for his editing, engineering, and sound design. And as always, thanks to you for finally investing in yourself so that you can get it together and get it all.